You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Today is March 24th, 2017, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about archiving. But before we start talking about archiving, I will need to load my show notes from my trusty Commodore 64. So while those are loading, we'll have a few minutes to chat during this episode's loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Loading time. Well, hello and welcome back to you and welcome back to me. I've uh, been on a bit of a hiatus while uh, school has been in uh, high gear. I am still, uh, I'm halfway through this semester. I am taking 10 graduate credit hours while uh, working full-time and uh, doing uh, family stuff. (laughs) And, um, it has really eaten my brain and eaten every spare minute of my day. So, um, but, uh, this is, uh, you know, I, I recently sat down, I made a list of things that were important to me, things I wanted to keep, uh, doing things, um, that weren't important to me and that I uh, need to let go of. And, uh, the podcast is something that I, is important to me. It's something that I want to do. It's something I enjoy doing and, uh, sharing, uh, my life and my stories with you guys. And so, Uh, I made a conscious effort this week to carve out some time and write up another show. And I made uh, some more time to uh, stay up late and record this episode. So here we are. Last week was spring break, not just for me, but for the children. So my wife and I took off of work and we went out west. Uh, I think that's what the Beverly Hillbillies did too, didn't they? (laughs) They loaded up. Uh, and, uh, we didn't make it as far as the Beverly Hillbillies. We drove to Santa Fe, New Mexico, where we visited Meow Wolf, uh, the uh, art installation. Once again, if you want to read about Meow Wolf, I wrote a big article about it this week on robohara.com. Uh, then we went to Albuquerque, which we were there for less than a day. And then on to Las Vegas, where we had a good time, uh, with the kids. We didn't do much gambling, but we got to visit some things and see some things. We got to be part of a studio audience for Penn and Teller's show fool us. So that was, uh, definitely an interesting experience. We have never been uh, part of a live studio audience before. So they taught us how to clap and they taught us how to behave. And, uh, it was very entertaining. I'll be writing a uh, long post about that, uh, over the next few days as well. So that, that was a lot of fun. Um, over the last month, I've also reconfigured my computer room. Now my computer room is, uh, technically, I don't even know what you'd call it. Um, there is a, a spare bedroom upstairs in our house. And then off of that bedroom is a, what I, I guess you would call a closet. 
Um, but the closet is, I think, eight foot by nine foot, something like that. So, uh, I mean, uh, maybe eight by eight. Uh, it's large. I mean, it's really large for a closet. It's like a bonus room that they filled out. So it's very large for a closet uh, and very small for a dedicated bedroom. But that's what I took over for my computer room. Uh, and when I was a kid, I uh, there was a neighbor that had a uh, Apple Apple II computer, and I went over to his house. This was an older kid. Uh, he was, uh, like the age of my next door neighbor's older brother. He, he was kind of in that crowd, maybe three or four years older than me. And I went to his house one time and he had a large room, uh, and the walls were just surrounded all the way around with those brown, uh, folding tables. You know, the ones that are like super heavy. And, um, I, I always liked that aesthetic, you know, uh, when I was a kid, Growing up, most of my friends, our computer desks came from Sears <laughs> or um, uh, probably not even Walmart, maybe Venture or something like that. Uh, they were, you know, cheap particle board that were uh, assembled. They would have a hutch where they had a spot for, you know, one box of discs or a spot dedicated for a, a dot matrix printer. And, and I always liked that that idea of just having tables where you could put stuff wherever you wanted and so that's what I did with my computer room. I went and bought, I used a um, uh, a tape measure. I was going to build shelves, and I I uh, put a pencil to it, and it was so much cheaper for me to just go to Sam's and buy those folding white plastic tables uh, and line the walls of my computer room. Now, one wall has a built-in uh, desk, so... There wasn't much I could do about that. But on the other uh, three walls, I lined them with uh, those white plastic tables. And I brought up uh, every flat panel monitor I could find from the garage and from upstairs. And I, I hooked one up to uh, my Mist and one up to a Raspberry Pi and a couple to my laptop. And uh, there's one or two others <laughs> uh, for some uh, retro gaming stuff. And I am in hog heaven. I can sit in the middle of the room with my rolling chair and just spin around and see every uh, piece of electronics <laughs> uh, just lining the walls around me. It's, it's uh, So right now I'm enjoying it. I'm sure I'll hate it in a year or two, but right now uh, I'm enjoying it. During my recent podcasting hiatus, I had a few people uh, send me some things. And uh, usually when people send me things, I don't, usually I don't mention their last name. I just mention their first name because um, I, I would hate for people to reach out to those people and try to get something. I'm always worried about that. Um, not that I don't think my listeners would do that, but, um, I, I just don't, you know, it, it's a weird thing because sometimes people, even though they do something, they don't want me to, they're not doing it for attention, you know, but I feel like they deserve attention because it's super, uh, awesome things. But, uh, anyway, uh, uh, one, one of my listeners, Kenneth, uh, heard me complaining and whining on the last episode that I bought the Y modem. That's W I modem, the wireless modem for the Commodore 64. And that, uh, the case was more than half of the price of the modem. So I did not buy a case, uh, for the modem and Kenneth contacted me and offered to 3d print me a free case 
for my Y modem. And so he did. Uh, it arrived. And I mean, when I opened it, um, there, there's like a little cutout where you can see the LCD, see, uh, the LCD screen. There's, uh, it's two pieces that snap together. I mean, I, I was pleased like a 10 out of 10. Like I could not have been happier with it. And then I turned it over and found that on the, the top side, he had 3D printed my name into the lid that goes over it. So then I was like a 12 out of 10. <laughs> uh, and he actually printed two tops for it, a blue one and a black one. And um, the black one in particular looks really cool on my desk. And now I've got these white tables with, um, you know, black highlights of things and this. And uh, so I have a lot of black and white things on there now and it looks really cool. So um, thank you to Kenneth for sending me that. That was really neat. Uh, I also got an email uh, earlier this month from Gray Defender, and Gray Defender is also a listener to the show and a Patreon supporter uh, of the show. And uh, uh, Gray Defender has been developing his own Pac-Man clone called G-Pac. That's G-P-A-C. And uh, he has released it. You can go download it for free and play it. Uh, it is a Pac-Man-style game. Uh, you know, the, the mechanics as we understand how to play Pac-Man are there. You're a Pac-Man, uh, or a Pac-Man-esque type character and you eat dots, uh, and there are power pellets and there are ghosts, but, um, there's a bit more of a story to it, uh, about, um, uh, disease and diabetes, like kind of a medical story, which makes it a little more interesting and the mazes get very interesting the further that you go. Uh, so, uh, it's not just a Pac-Man ripoff. I mean, it's definitely a, uh, homage, you know, and, uh, similar to Pac-Man, uh, in gameplay, but the level design and things like that make it, uh, really fun. And, uh, Grey Defender, printed up a few boxes. I don't think they're for sale. I think he just printed them up for himself uh, and for a few friends, and he mailed me one of those. So I have a boxed copy of G-Pack. Uh, I believe the subtitle is uh, Dementia Defender. And, you know, it's been a while. I, I've been trying to not acquire things for the sake of acquiring things, like not just adding clutter to clutter, you know, and I'm only trying to get things that, um, uh, have like a, you know, some sort of meaning to them or some sort of uh, story. And this thing qualifies, man, this is so cool, you know? Um, and, uh, so anyway, I have the box that's sitting uh, right above my uh, Commodore 64 right now. And, and then, uh, uh, so that's, that's really neat. So anyway, uh, you can, I'll put a link to uh, download G pack in the show notes and you could go find that. Um, or I'm sure you can just find it through Google. Also, if you Google, uh, that, uh, G P A C, you may find some YouTube videos that gray defender made while he was developing the game. So if you're into behind the scenes and game development of, uh, uh, retro games on retro systems that people are doing right now. Those are definitely uh, worth watching. It's very interesting. So anyway, thanks to Gray Defender for sending me that. Uh, and I also have to give a shout out to my friend Jimmy. Jimmy is a listener of the show, and he also happens to be a co-worker. And he saw on my blog and heard on the podcast that my Apple II 
had uh, blown up <laughs> last year. Um, I've never quite had a piece of hardware fail as spectacularly as that power supply did. I have ruined a few computers by pouring liquid into them. Uh, I, I've dropped you know, phones and things like that, but I've never had one just literally pop and start pouring smoke out uh, into the room uh, for a reason that I didn't cause. <laughs> and uh, boy, that thing, uh, I mean, it just popped and smoke and it, and it smelled uh, and it, it was very impressive as far as failures go. Uh, but uh, Jimmy took a look at the power supply. He replaced some capacitors, but that didn't fix the problem. And so we ended up ordering another power supply uh, but it had bad capacitors, and Jimmy was able to, I believe, transfer the new caps that he had just ordered to the new power supply. And between the two of those things, he got everything back up and running. And uh, so I recently uh, hooked the Apple II back up and hooked it up to the old uh, video switch box. So one is still a Commodore, but two is the Apple. And uh, uh, ran it through some tests and everything's working fine again. So it's good to have the old Apple IIe uh, back up and running. So thank you, Jimmy, for doing that. And, uh, oh, it looks like these show notes have completely loaded now. So let's go ahead and jump into this week's episode, which is archiving. So before we get started talking about archiving, I should define, I guess, what my personal definition uh, of archiving is and why I archive things. And there are three reasons that I came up with on my list here. And the first I have written down is preserving things. So there are lots of things that just won't last forever. Uh, paper deteriorates the uh, magnetic uh, storage, you know, the, the data that we have on floppy disks and cassette tapes and videotapes, and those uh, will deteriorate over time. So the, the first reason that I like to archive things or that I feel like I need to archive things uh, is to preserve them. The second reason is because it makes things easier to access. Um, so, you know, it's not necessarily convenient to pull out a VHS tape and then hook up a VCR and watch a video. But if you have uh, archived it or digitized it, as I often say, and stored it on the computer, then you can just double click the file and pull it right up. So sometimes archiving makes things easier to access. And the third reason I wrote down is because it makes things easier to share. So uh, for example, if you have uh, a copy of uh, photographs or old magazines or something, and someone else wants to see them, uh, you don't have to physically ship those things across the country or loan them to someone and worry about them getting lost. You can just send them a copy of the digital picture and then they can share it too. So that's the three uh, reasons why I archive things is to preserve them, make them easier to access and make them easier to share. So for the rest of the episode, what I have done here is made a list of uh, a few categories of things that I have archived and continue to archive. And I'm going to talk a little bit about each one of those categories. And the first one that I have written down here is pictures. So, uh, and photographs specifically is what I'm talking about. Now I was very lucky uh, in two aspects. Number one, 
my parents took a lot of photographs when I was a kid. And number two, they kept those photographs. Um, that's, I guess, not the case in a lot of families. I know that my wife's family, uh, they had a lot of photographs, but over the years they've, they've been lost or, um, or destroyed. So, uh, when I got my first flatbed scanner and it was a long time ago, this is probably, oh my gosh, the mid nineties. Um, I thought, you know, the first thing I want to do is, is, um, scan in these photographs and archive them. And like, for example, uh, when my wife and I got married, we, uh, used a photographer. It was a friend of hers from college who photographed our wedding and gave us one set of sample photographs. So 24, 36 photographs, whatever it was, uh, and told us, you know, based on those, we could order other photographs. Well, we didn't have any money at the time, so we didn't contact him for two or three months after the wedding. Uh, and when we contacted him, he said he was out of the photography business and he had got rid of all his negatives. So there are no negatives from our wedding and there are no additional copies. There is one set of photographs <laughs> and we have them. So that was one of the first things I scanned in. So um, all of our wedding photos, all of, I borrowed, my mom still has uh, like photo albums. And so I borrowed those and scanned in all the photos and uh, all the photos that I had and, and all the photos that my wife uh, still had. I got all those scanned in. Now, one thing that will become a theme in all of these different uh, things that I have archived throughout the years is that the technology available to archive them continually improves. And so uh, I'm always hesitant, no matter how good of a job I do archiving something, I'm always hesitant to get rid of the original because I'm always afraid that a newer, better way of archiving will come along and I'll want to redo the work that I've done. And every time that I've thought this is as good as it gets, I will never uh, need to archive this again because this is the best it can get. Uh, then another method comes along. That's better. <laughs> so I have learned, it's kind of like, um, uh, if you've been around computers and I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you've been around computers long, a long time like me. Um, it, sometimes it's hard to imagine things like hard drives getting larger than they are now. Um, but we've all been through that. I mean, there was a time when I thought I will never fill a gigabyte hard drive. There was a time when I thought I'll never fill a hundred megabyte hard drive, but we know now that those are, uh, you know, very limited in storage. And, uh, so when something like a terabyte hard drive comes along, it's easy to think I will never fill a one terabyte hard drive. But the thing is, is because of history, because we've been through this, we know that someday we will fill terabyte hard drives. So even if you can't, uh, you know, the, the, um, part of your, your mind that would imagine filling that drive, logically, you just have to know that someday that will be a small hard drive and we will have, and we will laugh at how limited and small a one terabyte drive is the same way that we would laugh about a one gigabyte or, uh, you know, my, my dad's first hard drive was five megabytes, <laughs> you know? So, um, uh, so 
the point I'm trying to make here is that um, when I first scanned in those photographs, I think the resolution is something like 600 by 300 or 600 by 400, something like that, uh, which I thought it's how could, you know, scans get better than this? You can see the picture. It's about the same size as the real photograph. Well, uh, now the, uh, I have two flatbed scanners and I'm looking down here. I'm not going to talk about either one of them right now because I'm going to talk about them later. But, um, uh, you know, when 100 DPI was as good as things got, you know, why would you want to keep those photos? But now when you scan things in, like I, I typically scan things, uh, like photos and stuff like that at 300 DPI. So it, it's just that um, advance in technology that always makes it difficult for me to, um, uh, you know, get rid of the originals, even after I've archived them. But I have scanned in all, every photograph in my family that I've been able to get my hands on. Of course, you know, by the time uh, cell phones and digital cameras and things like that came along, uh, we didn't have uh, film cameras. In fact, I don't know that my wife and I, have ever actually used, uh, maybe when we first got together, but definitely by the mid nineties, I didn't have a film, uh, camera anymore. I got a digital camera, uh, in the mid nineties. I, I had it when I went to Spokane and that was in 96. So, uh, you know, as, as far as, uh, scanning new photographs in it, it doesn't happen very often. Sometimes, uh, I just got it. My wife had a, a picture of uh, my daughter doing something with Girl Scouts, and she gave me the picture, and I scanned the photograph, and then I threw it away, <laughs> which is uh, because I, I don't care about the photograph. I just care about the image, you know, and so now I have the image, and if it needs to be posted on Facebook or emailed to grandmas or whatever, uh, I can do that, but as far as, like, the actual photograph, I think I may have tossed it in the box with the other photographs. I may not actually throw it in the garbage, but the point being is that I don't care about the photograph. I just care about the image. So, uh, but, but, uh, I think my photo directory is around 20 gig maybe. Um, but I have lots and lots and lots of photos that I've sorted, uh, in folders by date and location and, and people and stuff like that. So, but, uh, photos is definitely the first thing that, uh, I started trying to archive the next category I have here are books and magazines. Um, so, you know, there was, there was a time when, uh, maybe around the time that the Kindle came out and probably before that, but, um, I saw the writing on the wall that e publishing, uh, and electronic books and PDFs and things like that were going to be huge. Uh, I don't get into the debate of which is better, like is, is e-publishing better than, than paper publishing? Because to me, that's like, is emulation better than the real thing? Uh, it, it's such an open-ended question that depends on the situation. You know, one thing I, I always tell people and people say, I would never, uh, and I, I'm sure I've said this on the uh, podcast before and people say, I would never do emulation. And then I always say, wow, how do you hook up your Commodore 64 on an airplane? You know, <laughs> or when you travel for a week and go on vacation, do you, uh, do you take a, an Apple II computer with you? And some people, some of my friends probably would, but, uh, but the point being is that, you know, in those types of cases, uh, emulation is much more convenient. So, 
it depends on the situation. It depends on more variables. It's not a cut and dried question for me to answer. So, uh, so when I started getting all these eBooks and seeing these things, I bought a Kindle, which I talked about on this podcast eight, seven, six years ago, something like that. Um, and then I got rid of the Kindle and I bought a iPad and that's literally why I bought an iPad was for electronic, uh, uh, ebook reading. And I got this idea. I mean, I could get, you know, I could download and find and, and buy all these ebooks, but there were some books that I had and some magazines that I had that I wanted to scan in myself. And, you know, there, there are, um, multiple philosophies about scanning books. And I would say if you got down to the core, the very core there are two camps and the one is I'm willing to destroy this book to scan it in. And the other is I do not want to destroy this book to scan it in. Uh, So I would say for the most part, I fall into the second camp. Uh, I don't like the idea of ripping books apart uh, in order to scan them in. Uh, I like to scan it in and then still have a book when I'm done that I can give to someone or donate uh, or even keep on the shelf. And, uh, so I bought a plus tech optic book, 3,600 book scanner. Um, now it, it is not just a book scanner. It is a flatbed scanner and it looks very similar to every other flatbed scanner that you've probably ever seen, except for one major difference. And that is, is that normally if you look at a flatbed scanner, uh, there is a plastic, um, border, I would say like, if you lift the lid, there is a a plastic lip perhaps that goes all the way around the glass. And on this scanner, there is no such plastic on the front side of the scanner. And so, so the glass comes all the way to the edge and you can open up a book and slide it onto the scanner and scan a page. And it will scan basically all the way up to the spine Uh, of the book. Now it doesn't work perfectly and it doesn't work for all books. Obviously books that have a larger um, gutter in the margin work because it can't get all the way up to the corner. And uh, you know, if you're really willing to um, spread the spine apart and hear it crack a little bit when that old glue (laughs) starts to come loose, uh, you can, you know, get it really up in there and into the crevice. But uh uh, but for the most part, it works pretty good, you know, and it also works really well for magazines. And again, it doesn't work um, if, uh, you know, they, it's like a, a layout where the graphics or, or the text bleeds across the middle of the magazine. But if there's a little bit of a gap in the middle, then it works uh, fairly well. And uh, so I have scanned. Uh, I, I measured this one time. And when you really get into a groove. Uh, you can scan a page of a book in about six seconds. So you press the button, it scans. And as the head's returning up to the top, you flip the book around and hit scan again. And it scans. It takes about six seconds. And you can sit there and go through a book. Uh, And so I did like um, all my high school yearbooks. I scanned using this because I don't want to destroy the yearbooks, but I did want to scan them and have them online uh, so that I could share them, you know, with the, my old classmates and stuff. So, uh, so that scanner has really come in handy for scanning 
books and magazines that I don't want to destroy. But I also occasionally find magazines uh, or things like that that I don't care if they get destroyed. And so uh, for those, I also have an HP OfficeJet 8600 printer. Um, I, I'm not, I'm telling you the model, but I'm not a hundred percent sure I would recommend it. It works pretty well. It's a, it's one of these all in one printer scanner fax things. Uh, and it has two scanners built in. It has a flatbed scanner that has pretty good quality, but it also has a sheet feeding scanner. And that was the feature that uh, drew me to this model. So my idea was that I could take a magazine and cut it right down the middle and then just feed the pages into this and, and very rapidly scan in magazines. Uh, and again, I'm not talking about, you know, maybe something classic like an old eighties magazine from, uh, uh, my collection out in the garage or something. But if I found something perhaps at a garage sale or, uh, a newer magazine that I wanted to scan an archive, but I wasn't, uh, uh, you know, in love with, or, or didn't see a need to arc, you know, to, to keep the physical copy, then, uh, then I'm okay with that. You know, in fact, I bought a, um, I bought a paper cutter, just like the ones that we used to have in grade school, like the big, uh, flat area and the big blade on the side that goes, <laughs> that's my impression of a, a, a paper cutter. I found one on Craigslist for 20 bucks. Uh, and I, I, took a magazine and I opened it up to the middle and I went shunk and cut it right in half. Um, after I took the uh, staples out and it worked great. I fed it right into the sheet feeder. Now over time, I have noticed that the sheet feeder does not always pull pages in exactly straight. Um, and also it only scans one side of the page so that you would have to run them all through, flip them over and run them through uh, the backside as well to scan in the whole magazine and then sort all the photos, uh, you know, and then assemble the JPEGs as a PDF or whatever. So it's, it's, uh, for a magazine like that, it's, it's certainly not, uh, completely hands off, but I, I, and I know that they have, um, you know, all these, these different, uh, rigs that you could build out of PVC pipe and use digital cameras and, and this and that or whatever. But, uh, I don't, I don't have the space to dedicate to that, nor am I archiving, um, copies of the Declaration of Independence. Mostly it is uh, old magazines of uh, Hit Parade and Circus and Rip, <laughs> old music magazines uh, and uh, books that I have and that I would just want to have with me on the iPad too. So uh, if I were doing stuff, if I was archiving more important things, I might invest a little bit more money in the system. But uh, uh, for the books and magazines that I'm doing, it seems to do a pretty good job. Uh, the next thing that I have listed here is just called scans. And these are uh, things that I have scanned in with my scanner that are not books or magazines. For example, I had a little baggie that I kept all my old ticket stubs in. And uh, I pulled all those out. And so those are now scanned in. Uh, and on the computer, I have, um, spiral notebooks that I have going back to the eighties that are filled with phone numbers and, and BBS phone numbers and passwords. Um, even from the nineties where I have written down FTP sites that people sent me, uh, where I could download things, um, all my old AD and D, 
uh, characters and things like that I scanned in. So anything that was paper like that that I was worried about eventually, you know, getting ruined or, uh, you know, just, just going bad or just being able to access it, I scanned those things in. And so I have a 30-gallon tub out in the garage where I stored most of those originals that I wanted to keep. Um, and, and I didn't keep everything, but, uh, uh, yeah, so, so that stuff I all, uh, archived. And again, that's, uh, it fall that falls under preserving things, uh, but it also falls under making things easier to access, right? Because if I want to, someone says, Oh, did you go to this concert? I can go right to that directory and send them a copy of the ticket stub. I don't have to, you know, say, oh, let me go see if I can find this. So uh, it, it's easier to access and it makes them uh, in the same, I guess, uh, context easier to share, you know, to um, if people are looking for things or, uh, you know, I want to post them online or something, then they're right there. So, uh, yeah, those uh, different kinds of papers like that is definitely uh, another category. Now we get into uh, the entertainment stuff. And the first uh, category is music. And there are a few subcategories of music. The first is obviously, uh, CDs. Um, now when we were pitched CDs, uh, and that was around the time I was graduating high school and slightly before, but, uh, I graduated in 91. Uh, and I, I started getting CDs around 90, 91, not really getting into them until a few years later, but, uh, um, you know, we were told that CDs would last forever and we know that that's not the case now. They, they last a long time, but definitely some of the cheaper ones that I purchased, and I'm not talking about, uh, you know, ones that I burned on the computer, but I have CDs that I purchased that are flaking off, uh, that have stopped working that jitter now. So we know that those CDs are not going to last forever. Um, but, the music is probably going to last forever. Like, I don't feel like I have, you know, the only copy of Motley Crue's Dr. Feelgood. <laughs> like, I think there's probably a few copies of that out there. Um, but, um, you know, as far as going back to the other things like ease of access, um, and and I, I could say ease of sharing, but that uh, gets into some gray areas, so I won't mention that. But, you know, as far as ease of access... Like I am at a computer or have my phone with me all day long and those things play MP3. So rather than have to go to a physical location in my house, get a physical CD uh, and find a you know a way to play that, um, you know, I can listen to them in MP3 format. So those, um, you know, <clears throat> as far as archiving in the, the term of saving it, I don't know that I'm doing that. Although I have lots of CDs that I don't think anybody else has. Uh, or very few people have. I have some that I know nobody else has. Um, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here. When I went to went back to college uh, around the year 2000, there was a, a guy that sat next to me, and he was going to uh, he was aspiring to be a rapper, and he had a CD that he had pressed. Uh, he had burned a copy and gave it to me, and I came home and uh, uh, you know turned it into MP3s. And, uh, anyway, later on, he told me that I had the only copy of it and that they, they had lost it on their computer. And then, uh, 
at the, you know, I, I was going to burn him a copy. I don't remember. I'm sure I probably did, but, but point being, I mean, I, I don't think very many people have copies of that. You know, I have got copies, um, of albums, uh, CDs from, uh, you know, bands that were in the, uh, around in the mid to late nineties and members of those bands have hit me up for copies of them. So, uh, which is amazing to me. I mean, <clears throat> when I think about all the things that I've saved in my life, um, I know that if I ever recorded an album, I would always have a copy of it. So that, that amazes me. But anyway, uh, so CDs, um, and CDs are another example of the technology increasing. I remember when, uh, you know, when, when CDs first came out, I still had dial up internet. So I wasn't downloading albums. I was downloading like a song, like, Oh gosh, I really want to hear Bow Wow Wow's uh, I Want Candy a million times. <laughs> so you would download that one song. And I remember I, I took my computer over to my dad's house. Uh, he was gone out of town or something for a weekend. I was kind of house sitting. And I went over there and I went through his whole CD collection and turned it into MP3s. And I they were all like 96K, <laughs> like the worst quality uh, MP3s, you know. And then over time, like when I started doing them, I thought, well, those sound terrible. I'm going to do, um, 128 K MP3s. And that eventually got up to 192. And now I think, uh, the highest default is uh, 320. Um, and, and some people do, um, non lossy, like, like a flag F L A C not F L A C K, uh, is a format that, uh, basically 100% preserves the CD quality audio. Now the files are fairly large. They're not as big as wave files, but they're about twice as big as, um, uh, the largest or highest quality MP3. But again, it's that example of the technology, the ability to rip these things at higher and higher rates and, and hard drives, getting larger and storage on our phones and mobile devices getting larger, um, facilitates the ability to make these things larger. And so now if I were to rip all my CDs, obviously I would do them in a much higher quality than I did 10 years ago or 20 years ago, uh, when I started doing it. So, um, will I ever go back and do it? I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. Um, but, uh, all my CDs are out in the garage Stored in boxes just in case I uh, ever find six months and I have nothing to do. Uh, another format of music is cassette tapes. And cassette tapes are like probably the easiest thing uh, to, to uh, archive because most sound cards have a line in uh, uh, or some sort of input, you know, a, a quarter inch jack. And uh, is it a quarter inch? No, eighth inch jack. Um, a 3.5 millimeter. And, um, uh, you could just buy an external cassette tape deck, which is what I still have from years ago. And, uh, you could get really good quality brands like Kenwood and JVC and, uh, Jensen. I see those at the, at the um, thrift store all the time for five or $10. I have a Kenwood one. It's a dual cassette deck. And, uh, I have a, a set of RCA cables coming out of the back and going right into the sound card on my computer. So when I find a cassette and I want to record it in, all I have to do is put the cassette in. I go into uh, audacity or whatever software I'm using, hit record and press play on the cassette. Um, there are 
some utility, depending on what you're using. Um, uh, there were, when I first started doing this, there were some standalone apps. I remember one specifically called Dart Pro that would clean up uh, software hiss. Now, of course, there are plugins and Audacity and, and filters and things like that if you want to try to clean the sound up a little bit. But again, I went to lots and lots of concerts in the uh, early to mid-90s and picked up uh, cassettes from bands, and the bands are no longer around. The cassettes are no longer available. You search online. There's no uh, you get no hits for these bands, you know, and, um, and these are things I wanted to keep. And so, uh, I have archived, uh, you know, these cassettes in, um, so, so I have lots and lots of cassettes uh, that I have recorded in. Uh, and then the third one is vinyl records. Now this is kind of a funny story. A uh, long time, I say a long time ago, probably, oh my gosh, 15 years ago, maybe, uh, my dad surprised me one Christmas morning. He said, I got you something that you, you mentioned that you really wanted. Uh, and I was so excited. I was like, what is it? What is it? And I opened it up and it was a, uh, vinyl record turntable. And I was genuinely surprised because, um, yeah, after he left, my wife said, I didn't know that you wanted a record player. And I was like, I don't remember mentioning it, but uh, knowing me and knowing my dad, I'm, I, I'm sure I did mention it and I had just forgot about it. Maybe I'd mentioned it in some context or something. And he, he made a note of it and, and got it for me. So, and, it, and when he, when I opened it, I was like, wow, I, I really would like a record player. So, uh, so it all worked out. I was just more surprised. It was kind of like, um, back when I used to rent, um, movies from Netflix and I would build this queue, uh, that would, would last for months. And so the movies would show up later. And then when I would get it, I didn't remember that picking it or renting it, but they were always movies that I liked because obviously I had, um, <laughs> picked them for rent. So I was, I was constantly surprising myself. So I think that's what I did with uh, the record player was I had surprised myself. Um, but I didn't have any records. And so I started going to, uh, antique malls and thrift stores at garage sales and finding records. And I don't have any interest in buying records that are also available on CD or on iTunes or, or things like that. Uh, but what I really like are childhood records from the seventies and eighties. Uh, I have a, a collection of Disney records like, um, you know, whatever it was like Mouser size. Was that what it was? The Mickey Mouse uh, Jazzer size and, and Mickey Mouse disco um, and things like that. I have a whole bunch of Sesame Street records that never made it to CD. Uh, a lot of comedy albums, um, a lot of Halloween type themed albums. So those are the types of things that I look for on vinyl. If it's just, um, you know, a, a regular album or something. I, I just usually don't, uh, it just, that part doesn't interest me, you know, but, uh, anyway, so after I bought all these albums, then the record player died. <laughs> so then I had to buy myself a record player to play the records that I had bought because I had received a record player. So you can see, uh, how this was kind of cyclical. And, uh, I bought an ion, I believe it's a TT it's, I think it's a ITT USB, uh, an ion turntable USB. It's not the highest quality turntable. Uh, I mean, it's, it's plastic. It's pretty lightweight, the body and stuff, but, uh, coming out of the back, there are RCA leads. If you want to, you know, run it out to a, a tuner, 
but there's also, it has a built-in USB uh, connection. And so you can run it directly to a computer and transfer vinyl records straight to your computer as MP3s or WAV or, or whatever you want to capture them as. Uh, and so I have done that many times. There are some uh, records from my youth. One was uh, called Goofy Gold, which I just uh, recently mentioned online somewhere. And another one was uh, Dumb Ditties, uh, which uh, the first the first song on the first side of Dumb Ditties was uh, Chuck Berry's My Dangling, which was the first time I had ever heard that song. I thought it was the dirtiest song I had ever heard. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of times these records uh, were like, like Dumb Ditties was a double album. So if you bought the cassette version, you didn't get all the, the same songs that you got if you bought the vinyl version. So uh, there's been a few of those that I've uh, purchased and then converted over to MP3s just so I can uh, have those again. I have them on my phone, and, and uh, when I listen to them, it just kind of reminds me uh, of being a kid, you know, and, and listening to those albums. So I haven't bought a lot of albums recently. Uh, just haven't got out and haven't uh, done a lot of shopping like that lately. Just haven't had the time, but uh, but but yeah, those those are the types of albums that I look for. And uh, again, that it kind of hits all those same notes, you know. It's um, uh, as far as I don't know. I mean, I guess vinyl wears out when you play it, you know. And I've had a lot of records. Uh, the records from my youth uh, got warped, you know, because I didn't store them properly. Uh, so so I don't think that records like all records will last forever. I wouldn't say that. Um, but definitely they're more convenient, uh, to have as an MP3 versus, uh, having them, you know, as a, uh, uh, a vinyl record. And I know if you have a high end turntable and stereo, that vinyl sounds a lot better. I don't know that if you have a, uh, ion ITT USB turntable, <laughs> that that's necessarily the case. Uh, but, but they sound okay. Uh, then the next category I have is movies. This is the next to last category. Uh, and, and there's a lot of different categories. I mean, I, I wrote down home movies. I wrote down VHS tapes. I wrote down DVDs. Uh, but really, I guess the two things I would separate, uh, those out to would be VHS, uh, and DVD. And so, um, uh, VHS, you know, again, I don't have any interest in archiving VHS tapes that are available on DVD. I, I know there's lots of people that collect VHS tapes and watch VHS tapes. I'm just, um, that part of it, I don't know, just doesn't, uh, doesn't appeal to me, but I have a lot, a lot, a lot of videotapes, uh, as a kid. And so those I have converted over, um, I bought a, Hapage, uh, internal card. I have tried some of the USB video capture devices and I've never found one that gave me the quality, uh, that made me happy. So what I do now is I have a, a VCR, a forehead VCR hooked up to my internal card and I play, uh, tapes into the computer and record them. And then I trim them up. Sometimes I apply sound filters, and uh, when I'm done, I export them out to usually to a uh, MP4 file at this point. Um, uh, you know, with a lot of these things like um, MP3s, you know, the, the quality, like a, the lowest quality MP3 is not as good as the CD sounded. So you were losing quality. So the reason you keep archiving these things into higher and higher rates is because you want to capture 
um, you know, the, the full quality as it existed in its original form. But the uh, resolution of a VHS tape is pretty low compared to our HD uh, TVs that we have available now. So uh, I I've, could be wrong. And I probably will listen to this in five or 10 years and think, boy, was that a stupid thing to say? But I feel like uh, the quality that I'm getting now of my VHS tapes is as good as I need to get. Uh, and in fact, a lot of the videotapes, uh, I, I have two uh, ways that after I'm done recording them, if they are ones that were store-bought uh, for some reason and not available for DVD, then I donate them uh, to Salvation Army or to a thrift store. And if they were old home movies, uh, then I destroy them and I toss them in the trash. So, um, but, uh, so all my home movies, all the, uh, things like that, that I, um, you know, that I had as a kid, I have safely now archived. I have every Christmas, uh, from 1978, which was the first year we got a VCR and a video camera up until, um, gosh, what was the last one? Probably when I was 13 would be my guess. Uh, so I have a lot of Christmases and family reunions and things like that. And so those are all now safely stored on the computer and backed up and the backups are backed up. So they will at least last through my lifetime. After that, we'll see what happens. Um, my other, and this is kind of a subcategory, but my other weird obsession is television commercials. And, uh, there's a thrift store near me that sells for some reason, they always have used videotapes and they're four for a dollar. And, uh, so I go there and I buy those and I come home and I watch them. And usually they're, um, TV movies that were recorded in the nineties and sometimes the late nineties, but every now and then I get lucky and I find one from the late eighties or early nineties. And, um, so as I put those into the computer, I will go cut all the commercials out and save them separately. And in fact, um, I have a, a YouTube playlist. If you just go to youtube.com forward slash Rob O'Hara, uh, you'll find my YouTube page and there's a playlist of all the commercials. I think there's a couple hundred commercials that I've grabbed. So if you want to watch old, uh, pizza hut commercials or commercials for, um, uh, gosh, I just found, uh, some for the, uh, Harry and the Henderson's TV show. I uploaded all those. So, uh, lots of, uh, TV commercials. So that's kind of a, like a little, I guess, sub collection of, uh, uh, the VHS things. I also, when I get DVDs, I have right now pr over a thousand DVDs, like actual original movies that I purchased on DVDs. I have over a thousand. I don't know that I have a DVD player hooked up in this house. Um, I know I have a Blu-ray. Well, I have the PlayStation four for, um, watching Blu-rays, but, uh, when I buy a movie on DVD and I bring it home, the very first thing I do when I open it is I rip it and I upload it to my little server. And then I take the DVD and I go stick it in the closet and I never access the DVD, the actual physical disc again. Um, so then I, I have, uh, you know, little movie streaming devices set up around the house and, and you could connect to the server and you watch whatever movie you want. And it works out really well. Now, this is yet another example where uh, I can see the writing on the wall. I see it's coming. Uh, you know, we started ripping movies to like CD quality and then there were video CDs. I mean, just really terrible uh, things that were not 
the same as DVD quality. And then we started doing AVIs. And of course, now there are different formats like the MP4 uh, and MKV uh, that, that do a much better job and, and maintain a lot more of the quality uh, without, you know, uh, w- w- while still saving space. But the ultimate goal for DVDs is to simply rip them into ISOs, which would be a one-to-one copy of the actual DVD. Um, and that way you get all the extra features. Now, the way that I rip mine, I still do get um, commentary tracks, but a lot of times if there's like making of featurettes or things like that, I don't rip those to the server. Uh, so right now, I don't have enough drive space. It's just not feasible to rip all of my DVDs into ISO formats. But that's definitely coming. I mean, I can see the writing on the wall. I have um, uh, two drive raids. Uh, One has four, um, I think, three terabyte drives in it. Uh, But it's RAID 5. So basically I have nine terabyte available there and six terabytes. So I have 15 terabytes available. Uh, So I actually do probably have the space at this point if I were to go get started. Now, the other limitation in this is my home wireless. It's a two-story house and my wireless router is upstairs and all my streaming goes downstairs. And so the signal is not good and the signal's not fast enough to stream DVDs over the wireless. Now, again, I can look forward in the future. I, I, you know, I remember the first wireless and, and, uh, uh, you know, being excited about going to B and then G and then finally N. And so, and I know that AC, uh, and, and faster ones are coming. So I'm just kind of biding my time. If we move to another house, uh, it will definitely be a one story house. And I will definitely, uh, wherever we move to next, we'll have ethernet jacks in the wall. So I won't have to depend on uh, wireless signal, uh, to be able to stream things. So, uh, you know, that, that's a limitation that I have just a technical limitation that I'm just kind of have to wait on, you know? Uh, but again, ease of use on that stuff. Um, I haven't experienced DVDs going bad. I burn DVDs. Yes, of course, but not store bought ones. I don't think I've personally experienced that. Um, but, uh, but you never know how long these, the actual physical media are going to last. Uh, finally on my list, the last category here is floppy disks. And I know that there's been a lot of, um, internet traffic over the last week or so. There's been some other blog posts. I had a blog post, um, about archiving stuff. Um, so when I, uh, you know, I, I had back when I had my Commodore in the eighties and when that petered out in the early nineties, I had amassed around 700, uh, I think it's closer to 600, really, uh, floppy disks of information. A lot of games, but a lot of other stuff, you know, things I had created and drawings and and all kinds of different things. Uh, And so over the years, there have been multiple different methods available for archiving that, but they all kind of end up at the same place, which is a D64 disc image, uh, which, you know, is a, uh, uh, basically a, it's not an exact copy of a Commodore floppy, but it is a representation, let's say of a Commodore disc floppy, which can be used in an emulator or now with things like, uh, the, uh, 
1541 Ultimate, or, or there are multiple uh, Chameleon, uh, other different options, you can actually use those disk images back on a real physical Commodore 64. So um, there are other, uh, the G64 image uh, is similar to D64, but it's um, more of a, a bit copy. So sometimes if things need to be copied that has still have copy protection, things like that, uh, you can put them in G64 format. I don't want to get too much into the details of that, but um, I have multiple devices at this point for archiving floppy disks. Um, for the Commodore 64 alone, uh, you can use the 1541 Ultimate on a real Commodore and use actual, you know, Commodore copy programs like Fast Hack'em or, or um, I use Shotgun and Maverick a lot uh, to, um, to copy disks. You can also use the Zoom Floppy, which is a USB device that connects a uh, authentic or vintage um, 1541 or 1571 Commodore disk drive to a PC uh, through USB, through this little board interface, and you can archive disks to a D64 or G64 uh, disk images that way. So those are uh, the two primary ones. There are some other methods, but that's that's mostly what I use. Um, I also have the FC, I think it's the 5025, um, which is an interface that allows you to hook IBM PC floppy disks, like a five and a quarter inch IBM drive up to uh, a PC through USB. And there are utilities for it that will allow you to archive um, most types of five and a quarter inch floppy disks. You can archive uh, Radio Shack TRS-80 disks, Apple disks, uh, Commodore disks, and of course, uh, IBM PC uh, floppy disks. It's as far, it's not a dedicated device. And so in some ways it's not as robust as the Commodore 64 solutions. Um, I believe you still cannot because of a, the way that the disc drives were designed, you cannot read the backside of a disc. So for IBM PC discs, that's not a problem, but for archiving the backside of an Apple floppy disk, it won't work. So you would need a different, there are solutions available for that, but you would need a different solution uh, to do that. So the, the, um, the FC, uh, 5025 is, uh, a good all around solution, but not a great dedicated solution. But I do have one of those. Um, I may have one or two, uh, other things that are slipping my mind. I've got quite the little collection of um, ways to archive floppy disks. And I um, have, you know, I look online sometimes. Uh, I look like when I go to, uh, you know, where I have, I've been, I've had really good lucky, uh, really good luck is estate sales where I have found some old computers and then boxes of, computer disks and Craigslist sometimes too. Um, but, uh, you know, when you're buying someone's like a whole system, like somebody was a computer user years ago and they boxed everything up. And those are the best man, because you can just, you get this thing of a hundred disks or something and you can just go through and archive every one. Uh, and I, I wrote about this on my blog earlier this week. So I went into a little bit more detail because, um, you know, when things go good, they're good. You put a disc in, you archive it, and it's done. 
when they won't read, and then you have some decisions to make. You know, first of all, you have to decide if if the disc you are working on is worth saving. Um, if it is a copy of Donkey Kong, well, guess what? That has been archived. <laughs> People have archived Donkey Kong a million different ways, and so it will not be the end of the world if I can't archive yet another copy of the exact same game uh, of Donkey Kong. But if I see a disc that says something like Donkey Kong inspired text adventure, I would pull out all the stops. <laughs> that sounds incredible. I would pull out all the stops uh, to archive that. So you would start going through, um, you know, I, I'd have to figure out where is the damage. You know, a lot of these things are just designed to uh, slurp the entire disc in as a single image. Well, if the damaged part of the disc is somewhere where the data is not stored, then maybe I can get around that. Maybe I can do a file copy and just get the files off, or maybe uh, I could clean the disc, or maybe I can adjust the speed on the drive. There's a lot of different things you could do uh, to try to save that data. And so uh, right or wrong, again, depending on what's on the disc is to what depth I will go to to save the disc. And as I said in the blog post, sometimes I don't know who I'm saving this stuff for. Um, you know, some of the, like I said, some of the cassette tapes, some of the, um, you know, things that I created, some of, uh, the floppy disks that this is the only copy of, uh, I feel like, like I'm the guy, like I'm the one guy that has this and can save it. Um, but there are other things like, you know, the magazines that there are a million copies of or books or, or, um, you know, DVDs that I think, well, I mean, I'm, I might be doing this to make things easier for myself, but I'm not really, you know, like I'm not archiving thing for the better of humanity. <laughs> so, um, you know, so archiving is, is kind of a fun, I mean, you don't, I don't like, I would not re refer to myself as an archivist. I know there are people that do. Um, and I feel like, uh, those are more people that may be dedicated to uh, like somebody that works at a library, like their job is to get the data, you know, and then share it or whatever, where I'm like, I get the data and some of it I share like the Commodore stuff. Uh, you know, if I find unique discs, uh, I, a couple of years ago I found a, um, I, I bought a Commodore system from a guy and he was a member of, uh, the Commodore users of Norman C U O N, which I had never heard of. And there was a complete library of all the discs. Uh, he was the librarian. So there was like 50 discs or something from the C U O N. They were all numbered. And I archived all those. And when I checked online, I found that a lot of the programs were things that people had programmed that no one else had seen. Um, and, uh, there weren't copies of it. And so I scanned all that stuff in and uploaded it and sent it out into the world. And now if you go search for that, there are copies of that out there. So, um, you know, those, those are the wins, you know, uh, those are the things where you feel like, Hey, I found something that nobody else had. And that's when that's the excitement. Every time I look for a videotape, uh, every time I look for, you know, a, a cassette, from a band that's, that's long gone or, or a, a VHS tape, you know, any of that kind of stuff. 
that's that's the treasure, you know. That's the, the thing that we're all looking for is the one thing that nobody else has ever seen and being able to save that from oblivion and then and then uh, share it with other people that will enjoy it. So that is why I archive and that is what I archive. That wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any other episode of You Don't Know Flack, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodork. Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash you don't know flack. That's all one word. Or leave me voicemail on the You Don't Know Flack podcast hotline at area code 405-486-YDKF. You Don't Know Flack is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the You Don't Know Flack RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from me, check out my Commodore 64 theme podcast, Sprite Castle, at spritecastle.com, and Throwback Reviews at throwbackreviews.com. Both of these shows are also available at throwbacknetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on another episode of You Don't Know Flack.